Hello and welcome to another wonderful, extra special, extremely curricular, now that Ken has called out my phrasing in the previous episode. All Every episode is curricular. It's part of the curriculum. This is part of your online course learning this year at Normandy FM. I, of course, am Eric Van Allen, one of your co-hosts, alongside my co-host, Kenneth Shepard. Ken, how you doing this week? Meh. Meh. Well... Ken, we're going to see if we can improve that mood because we've got the wonderful Josh Silverman here again. I mean, I'm all right. You know, I'm, 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 I do things. <laughs> Y'all need to be more excited. Y'all need to be happy. Y'all need to be feeling it. I'm on my staycation week right now. I did nothing today, y'all. I I rolled out of bed at a solid 11 a.m. and it ruled. And then I just I watched some competitive Dota. I, I made some lunch. I played some video games. I played some Dragon Age because I realized I had not done all of Sarah's missions yet. So I was like, <laughs> should probably do that. Uh, yeah, it's been wonderful. Y'all gotta take some time for yourselves. Take time for yourselves in this time. Well, while you were doing that, I was just doing the random work crap that I have to do, which I enjoy my job, to be clear. But I was doing the random work stuff while simultaneously realizing, oh no, I started playing Dragon Age Inquisition three nights ago. Oh no, Marvel Avengers comes out tonight. Oh no, Crusader Kings 3 comes out tomorrow. What did I do? Why did I start Dragon Age again? And then I got oh. excited about Dragon Age. Crusader Kings 3 does come out tomorrow, doesn't it? If you are listening to this episode... Uh, Crusader Kings 3 is already out, but yes. I was definitely looking at some of the reviews that came out today on the day we are recording this and going, oh, I think I have a code for that somewhere. So I might. Mm. Game Pass on PC. For me. Is it? Wait, it's Game Pass on PC? Mm hmm. Oh, okay. Yep. Yeah, yeah. I already have it preloaded. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm going to be doing some Crusader Kings then. Ken, have you ever played Crusader Kings? No. I did not even realize this was like a thing until I I hated Crusader Kings 2. I'd read so I don't know what we're just going to talk about this for a second. I uh Crusader Kings 2 I'm just going to like my short thing on it is I'd read so many things. A bunch of different sites did like their little talking about their their uh their lineages and stuff like that. And mm-hmm. It was all these really like, funny, well-written things. And I thought I'm going to start this game. I started it, looked at the menus for like 5 minutes. I'm like, yeah. I don't understand this and I uninstalled it. <laughs> yeah, it's one of those games like Eve Online or um or Dwarf Fortress where if you tell the story from it, it sounds really compelling, but then like you've got to realize that is interpretation through the act of playing. And yeah. so there is still a barrier that you have to get through, but it sounds like CK3 is doing a lot to like smooth out that barrier and make it easier to get to it. I'm I'm seeing it compared to The Sims a lot, which I think is really interesting. Rather than like being compared to other grand strategy games like your um you know the other paradox games like Hearts of Iron and stuff like that. Europa Euro- Europa Universalis, I think is what's called. Yes. EU. Um but Ken, I raise it because not only do I think it's a game you might actually enjoy, but I wonder if there's a Dragon Age mod for it, because I think I'd mm. like to play that. That sounds... Uh, Crusader Kings 2, ha- I believe, has... Uh, I know it has a Game of Thrones mod, a Witcher mod. I believe it does actually have a Dragon Age mod, but uh, mm. it was unfinished, if I remember right, when I last looked <sighs> at it. So it was I know like, the Game of Thrones one is very, very popular. But... The Game of Thrones one's popular. If I remember right, the Dragon Age one, like, it's, uh, you know, you, you have... Uh, the Dragon Age character, you have like King Kalen, but then also like Louis the Fourteenth. <laughs> so like what? Oh yes, like... <laughs> classic Dragon Age companion Louis the <laughs> Fourteenth. 
if you also like Dragon Age Companions, uh, keep in mind that we do have a panel coming up with Josh on it, as well as Ken and myself. Uh, that'll be September 13th, if I have my days right. Uh, right. I am right? Mm-hmm. Are you sure? I thought it was I'm on a diff- Monday for some reason. I'm thinking well, of a different one. Now, now you're wrong. You were right at first, but now you're wrong. Okay, so it was the 13th. Ken? Was that? <laughs> it's the hear. 13th, right? <laughs> I didn't hear what you said. Is it the 13th? It's the 13th. <laughs> At 6.15 p.m. Pacific time. Mm-hmm. Um, man, I was right on the first go. I hate it when I do that. Uh, we will we will be talking about the companions of Dragon Age, and we'll be ranking them. We'll have Josh here, as well as Ken and myself, and Natalie and Ash from Kotaku. We're very excited about it. Y'all should tune in for that. You can stay tuned to our social channels for all the info and stuff when that goes live. Um, y'all, we're here to talk about a companion. We're here to talk about a very contentious companion. Uh, One that I think... I I have very... A wide variety of feelings about this character coming into this episode. And so I'm glad that Josh is here to help us sort through them. But (laughs) we're going to talk about Sarah. Uh, And Sarah, I think it's pretty easy to say, is one of is one of the most polarizing characters in this game. Mm. And I understand that this is a game that has Solus in it. But <laughs> <laughs> the thing about Solus is he feels written to be polarizing. He feels written to be this very uh this this character that draws you in different directions and people, you know, will love him or hate him or love to hate him or hate to love him, all that. But Sarah feels like a character that you either click with and immediately start to like you know vibe with what they're doing or they're just a character that you just do not get along with um that is not your your type of companion that you want to have around uh so josh i wanted to start this off by asking like what compels you about sarah um what compels me about sarah uh, how do i put it um it's a very different companion. Like Sarah's, she's a very different companion from uh, what you've seen, what we've seen in almost literally every other Bioware game. Um, like at a glance, Sarah could be described as just this, not even like chaotic, good or neutral evil, just chaotic as fuck companion who just does what they do and is kind of just loud. Um, I feel like a lot of other Dragon Age, particularly companions, fall under like some very clear archetypes. Sarah is just—I mean, it's a character that literally gave us a weapon called Jar of Bees, which is just a literally what it sounds like. It's mm-hmm. a jar filled with bees that make people panic, and you know such lines as bees and stuff like that so like uh, there's a lot of like bee related things which i as a person who's terrified of bees for some reason entrances me but um yeah i just i i like the character because she almost doesn't fit with anyone else in the game Mm -hmm. (laughs) like she makes no goddamn sense in the game i was um i was describing this to ken earlier uh when i was talking about kind of where my character was at in terms of who I was going to romance in this game. And I I was finding myself pulled between Solus and Sarah, and I found them as two really interesting, like, opposites, because Solus Mm -hmm. is very, like, the Dalish culture and adheres to the old elven ways in, in a way that we've seen a lot of elven characters in the past. But Sarah is kind of this new age elf who 
ends up being raised in the city does not have mm-hmm. a connection to the woods or nature or anything i think in one of the quests that we have here she even says that where she's like normally i preferred cities and streets but all this nature you uh and she's a very so 2015 eric when he first played this game uh was not as let's say worldly (laughs) um had not yet had (laughs) thoughts like what if capitalism bad um and and things like that um and so the difference between when i played this game for the first time and the reason why i enjoyed sarah so much then and the reason i like sarah for what she is now i think has has changed a lot over the years Mm. um i i really enjoy her as this character that is this like chaotic force that is just wanting to screw over the nobles in any way possible you know she like despises people who are in places of power and loves the people who are overlooked by society and she herself is very like a person who has been outcast by society frequently and i i think her character is very interesting in that respect and i think Mm some of that maybe didn't come across the first time this game went around and she was just kind of seen as like oh she's this manic pixie elf girl that does crazy stuff look how random sarah is and a lot Mm. of people bounced off of her because of that when really like a lot of her story stuff especially one scene in particular that i'm looking forward to talking about is about how she's been looked down upon or outcast by so much of society and and given the sense of self-loathing for what she is and how she just finds ways for common folk to get back at them and to get their own um I, I like her a lot as a character. Ken, Ken, do you have like preliminary thoughts about Sarah? So I'd had basically the same sort of mindset that you did, where you know, at the you know back in whenever this game came out, like I was not jiving with her because I had not, I, I maybe I've gotten a little bit more radicalized as I've gotten older, and um, I'm, I'm a big fan of Sarah's guillotine energy. And she, at the time, like, I was, you know, and, you know, parts of my Inquisitor playthrough hasn't changed that much in terms of, like, I st- still feel like my Inquisitor character is, like, this very, just because of the situation is in, he's a very, like, kind of pessimistic person and kind of, like, a little no-nonsense in some, at some points. And when it comes to Sarah, who is nonsense embodied, that, like, there was, like, immediate tension there. Um, but as I've gotten, like, as I've, as I've gotten older... I kind of appreciate the simplicity of her. Like, you know, everyone talks about how chaotic and wacky she is. But, like, when she speaks, like, there's actually, like, a very no-nonsense through line to everything she says. Um, it's like, I, I've... She was one of my least favorite characters six years ago, but she is... I don't know if she's... I would say that she's necessarily one of my favorites, but she's certainly in better standing than she used to be. Yeah, I, I found just the way that she's very much, like flat out this is how things are or you know she doesn't like the pomp and circumstance that other characters seem to do and she doesn't care as much for like i find her her main core concept seems to be like she she goes against the grain of however the way things are supposed to be like she gets told that things are supposed to be a certain way and she asks why can't it be the other way um and that kind of comes through i guess in some very like manic energy (laughs) and frenzied pranking and stuff like that but also like even the pranks and stuff which i guess is the first 
quest that we can talk about, which is just a little side quest where you run around Skyhold setting up pranks on various advisors and stuff. Uh, initially, it seems very childish, and you know, you're like setting Colin's desk askew and putting a water bucket over <laughs> Josie's uh, door, which is my favorite. Uh, but it seems very childish. But then when she explains it to you, she's like, "These." The people who work for you don't see you as people. They see you as, like, these commanding forces. And if you want them to like you, you you could take a few lumps, you know? <laughs> you could take a few hits to your pride, to your ego. I feel like she's very antithetical to the concept of pride. She doesn't like pride. And, and again, there's very specific quests you have with her that goes into that. But um, I liked pranking all the various characters, especially the ways that you found to prank them like setting Cullen's desk askew, which is just, oh mm. man, that would bother me so much. <laughs> I think that was part of the thing that kind of sold me on the whole quest is that the, thing, the things she does are ultimately harmless and like mm-hmm. they accomplish what, she, or, you know, in small ways they accomplish what she's trying to do while she doesn't actually disrupt people's lives and like, or at least, you know, on that small scale. Cause I think that kind of like goes against what she's trying to do is like the people that are trying to help you know, the little people that she's worried about are ruined by her, like, the things that she does. Mm, yeah. Yeah, I mean, my feeling on Sarah, like, I, I already said, you know, the kind of chaos thing, and just to clarify, I mean that 100%, like, in a complimentary sense, because I want to make sure, like, it doesn't come across that I was, like, one of the things that pissed me off uh, in, you know, five, six years ago, Dragon Age Inquisition, when it was originally out, was people referring to her as that manic pixie dream girl thing. So, like, I I appreciate the chaos, and I appreciate the depth, because uh, Bioware really could have just written her off as this just pure chaos character with no logic, no reason, yada, yada, yada kind of thing. But instead, it, it, there's a lot of depth, and as, you know, Eric, as you both said, like, an explanation to it. Plus, again, like, the the totally harmless pranks were just cute and sweet almost <laughs> mm-hmm. they're like ones that i would have played on my friends when i was younger um, the, the, and putting still a death slightly it. askew thing i think i've literally had done to me on many yeah. occasions so. i uh i think i've told this story in front of ken before but when i was in high school uh i was in band and i hit a metronome which is that little like thing that beeps to keep a beat or whatever for when you're practicing I hit a pocket metronome under a rolling desk chair and taped it there and put it on the lowest volume setting at the slowest beat <laughs> setting. So it was just every once in a while you just hear this little, oh. And then, like, uh, I apparently set that room into chaos as multiple <laughs> band directors were tearing the room apart uh, looking for it. And they were looking in ceiling tiles and they were taking out desk drawers and stuff. I guess they never realized that every time they moved the chair to get something, the, the noise was moving as well. Uh, I was very proud of that one. <laughs> but, uh, I did stuff like that when I was younger. And it was like, the reason why I did that stuff was usually just as, I don't know if I'd say like affection necessarily, but it was to like, just kind of have some collective fun and it, I, I tried to always make it in a way that wasn't always at somebody's expense, but it was just like we could all kind of laugh at how silly it was. Um, mm. And that's what I feel like Sarah's stuff is. Is there, there definitely are people like Josie ends up doused in water and all that, and that's funny because she looks silly. But that's not going to like change who she is in the Inquisition. That's just going to make her 
feel a little bit more human to everybody else, a little bit more approachable to everybody else. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I feel like that stuff is very, I, I, I resonated with that. Like I, I felt that need to do that, um, to cause a little chaos, to endear the troops to one another. Uh, but her actual companion quest is a much, much more different, uh, situation. <laughs> um, we get a tip between that we get a tip from uh sarah that there's a land squabble between nobles in an area called vershell which i guess is near crestwood because that's where we end up eventually in this uh in this mission but there's a land squabble going on and as she says it's getting a lot of the little people what little people in terms of like the the common folk the the peasants the the servants all that kind of stuff getting them beat up uh and she wants the inquisition to march troops through the town to kind of like cool the situation down and puts them in the middle instead of all the the common folk so once we do this and we do the the war table thing uh we head out to meet up with our contact and collect the reward for the mission and we find out it's a trap oh no um and we fight some mercenaries that after we murder them we find out they were hired by one of the nobles that was in the land squabble uh lord harmond who was trying to draw out the red jennies and wanted to try and kill sarah <laughs> um but then once he realizes the inquisition is part of this offers to be partners with us and we could do so much together and <sighs> I knew from the start that I was going to have this dude die in some way. And this entire dialogue, I was just thinking about the way it was going to happen. <laughs> uh, whether it was going to be my Inquisitor or whether it was going to be Sarah. Because this dude sucks. This <laughs> knockoff Kurt Russell looking motherfucker sucks. And uh, he does this whole dialogue where he's just like, well, you know, I I didn't think you'd associate with the uh the red jennies you know i thought we were of a different caliber and if you're like me you're playing an elf uh he even makes a comment about like even though you are of a different kind i thought that you being an inquisitor would make you want to be better than this and i was just like oh man oh just let me let me throw him into the fade (laughs) me (laughs) um so one of the things i wanted to bring up first with this um because because up to this point it's a very basic mission you go there you talk to one person you end up fighting a group uh but then you have this dialogue that i find is really interesting because uh during it you have the kind of inquiry options that you normally do in a dragon age dialogue right you can kind of ask him like well what do you mean partnership and stuff like that and the more questions you ask the more frustrated sarah gets with you and if you try to do that whole like you know we've all played bioware games and we want to exhaust all the the left hand side options before we go to the right hand side options that will advance the de- the text dialogue and all that but if you try to do that she will get pissed off at you she will actually get mad because she's like why are you talking to this person like she will mm-hmm. straight up attack him if you just keep asking him questions and then get pissed off at you for keeping the conversation going and i thought that was like a really interesting I can't think of another time that Bioware has done that where they put you in a situation where one of your companions is like, stop talking to this dude. Stop asking him questions. I remember that on my first playthrough where I was just like, because my thing always is to ask every possible question. Mm -hmm. 
And I always appreciate with like Solus when you ask more questions, Solus always, you know, you get little, little approval boosts. Mm-hmm. But then with Sarah, I was like watching like, oh, you know, slightly di- uh, disapproves, disapproves. And then I think there's even like a point like of greatly disapproves. And I'm like, mm-hmm. what the fuck? Mm. <laughs> yeah, I think that would have been one of like the determining moments for me back in my very first playthrough because I was doing the same thing. I was like, and I was investigating everything I could. And then Sarah just did her thing. And so like that kind of set the tone for me for the rest of the game with her. Um, and I was never able mm-hmm. to really recover that relationship. Mm-hmm. And so like when I, when it kind of hit me that like, I wasn't going to jive with this character at the time, when we get to the, you know, the, after we get through the sequence, um, when, when we get Skyhold, I was very much like upfront, like, Hey, you are undermining what we're doing here. And that's not okay. Um, and it's never really recovered from that. Like, by the time I got to even Trespasser, I couldn't access her, like, kind of in-game stuff because we were just not on good terms. That's, like, that's really cool to me because I feel like Dragon Age has tried many times over to try and do that thing where you have a character that you disagree with or you have a character who could potentially leave your party or be at odds with you over things. Um, and... I'd never seen it attempted in this way before where it's like the more, cause it makes sense for Sarah's character, right? The more you mm-hmm. inquire and you're like, well, hold on, let's hear about this partnership. She's like, no, fuck that. Like, let's just stab yeah. the dude. Um, which ultimately we do get the choice of, we can either let him walk away. We can take him up on the offer. If we have, I think it's one of the knowledge perks or whatever. We can force him into serving the inquisition, which is pretty funny. Um, or we can just let Sarah try and kill him, which results in one of my favorite cutscenes in the game, I think, because it's. I, well, so first I'll ask, like, how did you all respond to it? Oh, I, so I. Oh, oh go ahead. Josh first. <laughs> okay, me first, sure. Um, so I, I literally I pulled up Dragon Age Keep because I don't remember. This was like you know mm-hmm. six years ago, um, and I'm only doing my second playthrough where I think I'll actually get that far, like now. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, looking back at this, uh, I, Sarah killed Harmon on her own. So that's kind of the oh, direction yeah. Yeah. Uh, I went because, again, I was just asking questions repeatedly and can until have- she got pissed. Ken, yeah. how'd you end up? Uh, this time around, I just I was like, just kill him, Sarah. I was not yeah. having it, and you know. Uh, that cutscene is fantastic for those who have not played it yet. Oh, uh, she throws the knife, and it like lands flat against his chest. He just kind of looks at it. He's like, <laughs> "What was that?" And then she just walks up and kicks him in the nuts, and then <laughs> and then starts like just mercilessly beating the crap out of the dude while yelling curse words <laughs> and you get like three different options where you can be like hey stop or like calm down it's over or i chose the one that's like i think he's dead and your inquisitor says something like calm down sarah he's dead at this point you're just making wine and i was like oh my god <laughs> like, oh, holy shit <laughs> um, um, that's amazing yeah uh I was a big fan of that moment uh, because I I was having that that brief moment where I was like, oh, you know, maybe I should just let him walk away. But then I was thinking in my head, like, wait, this is one of the dudes that's involved in the land squabble. He clearly wants to keep it going. He's going to make it worse for everyone here. Nah, <clears throat> nah. <laughs> there's there's a lot of dead bodies around here. We can uh, we can set it up to look like something else happened. Uh, 
yeah it was a cool moment and then you get back to skyhold and you kind of have a i guess a coming down moment as you do with most of the companions in the game where you talk about what happened and for me you know i was like you know you're unpredictable but i still think you're an asset to the inquisition either way um which is kind of how i feel about sarah like sarah is unpredictable at any given time but she's proven multiple times over with all like the red jenny war table stuff and all that that she is committed to not just helping people and helping red jenny but also helping the inquisition as a whole so Mm -hmm. um i like her a lot as a character (laughs) she's a cool character um we just like What's curses up? a lot more than any other character and i don't know i appreciated that six years ago <laughs> she does yeah, i don't know mm. uh creatively curses too exactly and yeah it's not just like just vulgar for the sake of vulgar like it's not they, they don't write just vulgar for the sake of vulgar it's like it makes sense for her character the way she speaks yeah. and i liked that back then mm-hmm. so there's one more minor quest we have before we get to the actual romance quest and this is the one that i was actually looking forward to talking about um you can hang out with sarah on the rooftop and eat cookies with her um which is i think probably the scene most people remember from this game of sarah because i think most Mm -hmm. of the other ones in this game are maybe not spectacularly like thematic or memorable or whatever but this one like eating cookies on the rooftop is is one of my favorite parts um while you're hanging out there you can kind of ask like hey why are we on the roof eating cookies like what's going on and you can tell like she hates the cookies they're just absolutely shit cookies um (laughs) And she tells you the story about how when she was younger, she was an orphan and she was taken in by this this noble lady uh, who was not able to mother children of her own. So she gets taken in under her wing and kind of raised, you know, she says, like, we both kind of served a need for each other in that way. But um, once the, the lady, the noble lady started, her health was failing sarah went to go ask her about the cookies that she had always made because she was like oh you know that seems like something that i could pass on you know that's what mums do is they teach their daughters how to make the cookies and i could pass that on it seems like that's a really sweet little notion like surprising for sarah that she's like oh i want to pass something on from you uh and that's when the lady reveals that not only were the cookies that she'd been like pretending she had baked were actually bought from a baker but Sarah had never figured it out because the lady had told her that the baker wouldn't serve elves and that the baker was like racist against elves. Mm. And Sarah gets into this really interesting like dialogue bit where she's talking about, cause you can be like, Oh, she was just, you know, she was trying to create a sentimental moment between you two. Like she wanted that to be your special thing. She didn't want that to be ruined. And Sarah can be like, no, she was just prideful. And she wanted, Mm. you know, it was about her. It was not about, and she's like, I made that baker's life hell. And more than that, Sarah's like, I developed this self-loathing. Like, hearing that, hearing that there was a reason for someone else to hate me because of the way I was, made me think that there was something wrong with me. And it was, like, going back to this moment, like, again, five years in the past i had completely forgotten about that part of this dialogue and i think if you take certain routes through it you don't even encounter pieces of this but going back through it now i was like holy crap <laughs> like this is this is incredible characterization for who she is and explains so much about like 
why her character is the way that she is now that she wants to protect the people who aren't protected because it's not just nobles like it's not just the noble status but it's the way they treat people and the way they treat people that creates that self-loathing within them um you know that's not an uncommon thing to hear about like you know people who are in poor conditions being conditioned to hate other people in poor conditions or blame themselves for it rather than blame the people above them and you can see how sarah developed this ideology of hers and and became the person that she is now and then it's all it's all wrapped up very sweetly in this little oh we're we're having cookies and they're shit cookies (laughs) but there are cookies and and i liked it a lot it was it was just a very sweet moment um yeah I don't know if y'all had any thoughts on the cookie scene. I don't. I remember it being very sweet, though. Mm. Like I remember, I remember it being a, just a standout, just kind of just nice. It was just nice. Yeah. That's actually what I remember it from. Mm-hmm. I had actually, not I had not seen this scene until this playthrough, and that was, mm-hmm. I guess, a result of me and her not being on good terms. So like, it felt kind of nice, that, like. Even though that's obviously not a thing that could possibly be reflected in game, but like, it took me this many playthroughs and this many years to get on the same page with her to finally see that moment and see like kind of that seed be planted in her brain of like, mm-hmm. you know, this is like a microcosm of a bigger problem that is something I, as I've gotten or I meaning Sarah, uh, has gotten old enough to have some kind of influence on and like be aware enough of something to you know like find that quality in other people which is I guess the whole Red Jenny concept like find other people that are also have felt sort of disenfranchised in whatever way they have and all kind of come together for a common goal so I guess then this last mission that we have this last quest that we have this last companion quest for Sarah it's where I got to answer a big question. Mm. <laughs> it's, it's where I got... Yeah. So, I mean, some context, if you have not heard it previously on the podcast or anything. Uh, when I first played this game back in 2015, I was not really paying attention to who was possibly 2014? romanceable. 2014? I, I whispered that earlier, but my mic was going out, so you didn't hear it. Oh, okay. I yep, always 2014. I always get that confused because wasn't Trespasser 2015? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay. That's why I think it's a 2015 game. Okay, 2014. Um, back when I played this in... God, that really was six years ago. Um, uh-huh. Yeah. Uh, I was not paying attention to who the romantic interests were, and I was playing my, my dude mage inquisitor, my Macklemore-looking inquisitor, um, and I just liked the sort of manic pixie dream girl energy of Sarah. And I was like, cool, Sarah seems like the the rad character that I want to try and romance. And eventually you hit a point in her romance, which I imagine you probably do uh, if you are a female character or female inquisitor trying to romance Dorian, where you just get stonewalled. Mm-hmm. And they're just like, hey, look, I'm not into you. Right. And for me at that point, like Ken and I have talked about it previously and stuff, like that was me going like well wait a minute what do you mean <laughs> and, and i had to suddenly be like oh for years i've always kind of just been able to romance whatever character i want especially if i'm trying to romance like you know feminine characters and stuff like that as a male character in bioware games that's usually where that stuff is directed it kind of forced me to rethink my perspective a lot on these games and i i liked sarah's 
plot line a lot for that now and uh so going into this game i am playing a female elven inquisitor so i did have the option of romancing sarah but i think ultimately like when i got up to i'd been flirting with sarah and stuff like that just like i flirt with just about every character in this freaking game Uh (laughs) um but when i got to the point where i could have locked it in i was just kind of like you know what i like like up to this point i've been playing kind of a character and i've been playing the inquisitor that i want to play but this decision felt a little more personal to me and i had to be like you know what i like the relationship that i have with sarah i like Mm. the way that that character ultimately evolved and forced me to change things and and think differently and examine the world differently i think i am a better person because of that relationship that i had with that I don't think I necessarily want to change that. So mm. I have not romanced Sarah. <laughs> um, <laughs> I reserve the right to romance whoever else in this game I want, including an up to Iron Bull. But um, with Sarah specifically, I just felt like this was a character that I wanted to maintain that same relationship with. I, I like the sort of pal pal relationship with Sarah a lot as it is though i do like her romance quest a lot if you decide to go down that route which we'll talk about right now um if you go down the romance route you get a quest called a woman who wants for nothing uh and you get a scene where sarah tells you that she bought you a hat and uh the inquisitor then thinks okay i need to get a gift for sarah in return and it involves this whole situation where you're running around skyhold asking all of your companions about Sarah and the Inquisitor and, you know, what to get for a gift. And they all kind of react in various ways. Solas and Vivian do not like it at all. Um, whereas, like, Iron Bull is like, hell yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Which, again, why Iron Bull is the greatest character in this video game. <laughs> but um, they, they have kind of different uh, suggestions. Uh, the ones that I remember... Uh, specifically where Cassandra is like, you could get Sarah a job, which I was like, that's a very (laughs) Cassandra uh, answer. And Vivian sarcastically remarks that the Inquisitor should... There's not really a Thanksgiving family dinner way of saying this, so I'm just going to put it out there. The Inquisitor should shave a crude message into their pubic hair, Um, which you can actually do. You can decide to make that decision. Um, once you've kind of talked to all the companions, you go back to Sarah and, uh, you can, you know, the Inquisitor is very flustered and is like, I was trying to find the perfect gift. I talked to everyone in Skyhold and Sarah is like, that's the best gift you could have given me is like having to go around and tell everyone that we're in a relationship. (laughs) Um, and, and then you head off and then you head off to bed. And if you did do the, the shaving, Sarah then laughs so hard that she falls off the bed seeing it and then pulls the inquisitor down to the ground with her um Mm. it's a very sweet romantic side quest i think which i think is very reflective of this character um you know it's just a lot of fun it's a lot of companion interaction which i think is great um similar to the iron bull romance i like it when these romances tie in the way that other characters respond and interact to the relationship and stuff like that and you know a lot of it is used for kind of slapstick comedy and all that but i i thought that this was just a funny way of 
kind of introducing this idea and then reflecting Sarah's personality in it. Like, oh my god, you had to go around and tell everyone that we're in love. Oh my god, that's hilarious. <laughs> um, hmm. I don't know. Josh, have you ever romanced, played a, a playthrough where you romance Sarah? I've only done one playthrough uh, uh-huh. to a point of romancing. Because um, I've done... Uh, not including the one I'm on now, because I'm not that far along, but I did, post-finishing the game, I did three playthroughs where I made the sky hold, and mm-hmm. then was like, well, that was a lot, and then yeah. I went and played something else. Um, so, uh, yeah, I just, I tried to play the game, like, right after, um, mm, yeah. finishing it, and it's, it's just a beast of a game, so mm-hmm. that wasn't just not a good idea. But no, the only person I've romanced is Dorian. And I've never even watched a video on anyone else. <laughs> wow. Okay. Um, it's honestly kind of yes, it's played it for for laughs, but like I gotta say, my my heart grew three sizes bigger when I was watching this, and Sarah was like, "You told people that we're together," and I was like, "That's all she like. That's all she cares about is that people know, mm-hmm. and that, like pe- like that is a, they are visible uh, together." Mm-hmm. Um. So, like, I didn't, I guess we had different readings on it, because, like, what are you saying? It's, like, she, like, Yeah, I um, thought, I read it as, like, it was, like, it was funny that the Inquisitor had to do this, but it's been a while since I watched this romance, so I might be, I might have that clouding my judgment. So, you, you go ahead and talk, I'm gonna pull up the video and watch it. Well, hearing you talk about it, though, like, describe it, and just, like, reading this a little bit, uh, is making me go, wow, I was 100% certain I was romancing, uh, Solus on this playthrough while just making Colin uncomfortable at whenever possible, but mostly romancing souls. But now hearing this, I'm like, Sarah might fit better with the character I'm playing. Though. Mm. So, yeah. I don't know. You, you're in the middle of watching it right now on air. air. Well, yeah, I was, I was going to have you talk and then, and oh, well, while that you was discussed basically it, the end of my thought. To... Oh, okay. So I'm, I'm, I'm vamping for time here. Josh, wow. how are you? How are things? <laughs> doing all right. <laughs> you enjoy the show so far? I always enjoy this show. It's one of my favorite podcasts. Oh, legitimately. That's really fucking nice. That's a very nice thing for you to say. I like listening to you guys talk, so sometimes when I'm a guest, I legitimately forget to respond to things because I just get caught up <laughs> listening to you two ramble at each other. <laughs> I forgot how many scenes there are in romance because some people decide to like put all of them together into they one put thing. Everything from like literally the first moment you can possibly romance someone. Sometimes, yeah. I actually it, have it, an it, article book bookmarked. I think from Kotaku when this first released, which is like the header is like why Iron Bull's romance is super important, and it's literally the date on it. It's like 2014 because I've just still not actually done that. Um. Yeah. Yeah. Ken, I think your reading is a little bit more valid than mine is. Um. That it's definitely like a you told people sort of thing. Um. Yeah. I think I think the joy I read from it was because I was the last time I watched it would have been after playing it, so I was used to thinking of like prankster Sarah and mm. not necessarily like sentimental Sarah or mm. like genuinely happy Sarah. Um, yeah, Sarah's a cool character and has a lot more depth than I think people ascribe to her. For so sure. um, that was all we had to talk about in terms of companion stuff this week, which made for a pretty quick episode, but we do have extra stuff to talk about this week because Ken mm. we got we got more Dragon Age news. We did. <laughs> we were feasting Age. on crumbs. <laughs> um so this last week uh at Jeff Keeley's end of the summer party, 
uh aka gamescom <laughs> opening night live i always like to imagine it's like um because like in movies like american pie they'll have that like one dude throws an end of summer bash or whatever and the way jeff Keeley kept building it up i was like this dude is just throwing stifler's end of summer party <laughs> um oh shout, no shout out Keeley to as the movies. stifler of the game industry i can't I, unsee it <laughs> i know right like i haven't thought of those movies in probably at least a decade and all of a sudden they came flooding back um one of the i'd say just outright surprises because i did not i don't think i saw anyone who normally mm. leaks stuff or rumor stuff or whatever even discussing the possibility of this but bioware showed up with kind of i mean this is pretty par for the course for them in terms of uh stuff that they show over time like kind of a dev diary thing where they just kind of talk about their their larger approach to the game you know usually a lot of like we want to tell a story a grand epic where your choices matter what if what if power is bad what if good can can fight against evil but there's different choices in the gray between it's, i feel like you, you know, can put the concept art of any of their games over that presentation and it will be mostly the same i'm gonna go re-edit that to like all the concept art is just conquers bad fur day footage <laughs> <laughs> um sneaking screenshots uh but i think the concept art was the the larger takeaway um i, I kind of had two takeaways from this this th- thing that we got uh one holy crap dragon age still exists and like kind of feeling that swelling i mean i did get you know goosebumps when solace was talking and there was that line that they played where they're like they call me the dread wolf what will they call you when this is over and i was like oh yes i want to play this video game but (laughs) um the other part of it was like and we've known this for a while but i guess it was just a little reminder that yeah this is still a ways out this is mm-hmm. you know the reminder like i had to go like oh they only have concept art and like some very rough early prototypes of what combat could look like theoretically mm-hmm. um was kind of a reminder of oh yeah this game is still a decent ways out um I think the last might come out like a decade after inquisition. Well, that was what I was thinking. Like most people and are based on what most people have said and just where it's at. I'm looking at this as an at earliest, the end of 2022. And Mm -hmm. that means that the game would be coming out at earliest eight years after inquisition. And what is that? Seven years after the last dragon age video game release which is wild when you think about the fact that I, if I'm if I'm remembering my dates right, Origins released in 09, Inquisition released in well, Inquisition's final piece released in 2015. So it's going to be longer between Dragon mm. Age stuff now by a wide margin than between the first and the third game. Right? Yeah. Granted, the second and third game were both heavily rushed, famously yeah. so. Yeah, like those were both very crunch heavy games and maybe that does signal that there's been a shift in culture at those studios and we you also have to account like dragon age was one of bioware's two games on this last well i guess three games um but one of its last two like big 
regular style not loot shooter um games Mm -hmm. on this last generation and now you know i'd imagine they're eyeing the next generation uh you know they had some quotes uh previous to now where they'd shown off a tree where they were talking about how they're going to use next gen hardware and all that so um with, with that in mind i think the delay makes sense just because you know we've been hearing over and over again how these games are getting delayed because of covid and that's caused a lot of development pipeline issues across the board for everyone you know it's it's not predictable it's not something that you can plan for but uh the thing with dragon age i mean so ken you wrote a very good article about kind of the way that they were framing some of the discussion around it makes it sound like it will not be the inquisitor uh taking Mm -hmm. the role again uh which would Mm -hmm. be a missed a missed opportunity for this game uh if you wanted to add anything about that Uh, i mean i'll say up front realizing that that is probably the case and then also getting to like some i don't think i got any arguments i don't think i got any arguments like i had discussions with people like on twitter i think i feel less interested in this game than i ever have like and i don't really think that there's anything that bioware can show or do that's going to change that um outside of having the inquisitor be the main character yeah because i mean it just and we talked about it several times on the show, like especially when we got to like talking about legacy, and you know, we'll get into it more with Hawk when we get in back when we circle back around to Hawk in this season. Um, I'm just really bored of the way the Dragon Age handles its stories now, and I'm like, and the weird justifications that are around it too, um, which I don't think really acknowledge the actual underlying issues of like how it affects the writing of Dragon Age's stories. Um, I don't know, like, I... Some miracle might happen, and like, oh, we're playing as Dorian the whole time. Okay, great. Um, then I'll be interested. But I, that's not gonna happen, so I don't really know, short of them doing, like, you know, the just the normal, like, logical thing. Like, the thing that seems like just the natural continuation of the story that they've been writing. I don't know, like, it's just... I don't want to get, like two in the weeds for it and, like, cannibalize our Trespasser episode, but... I I get get where you're coming from. My standing thing is, I I totally get the, uh, you know, the the dislike of the, uh, the fact that Dragon Age switches you between new companions, new main character in every single game, and kind of, uh, to a degree, drops the thread of the previous main character, the strongest, obviously, being... Um, the hero of Ferelden. Uh I, I get the the dislike of that, but the way I kind of look at it is, for starters, Dragon Age 1, 2, and Inquisition are vastly different games. Um, in, uh, with, with Origins, we were given... They, they were coming off, you know, hot off Mass Effect, which, they, you know, with Mass Effect, they had promised that they were going to do this trilogy where all your choices matter, and as we know, that kind of, uh, you know, came back to bite them in the ass because there were so many various choices in Mass Effect 1 that it kind of uh, mm-hmm. um, stopped them from doing stuff in Mass Effect 2 and 3, i.e. Rex being a companion, because mm-hmm. there was such a... Because literally the choice in Mass Effect of killing Rex in the first game made it that oh my god, we have to literally create scenarios if we have, have him be a companion again. And the same, where, same can be said for, like, Garrus and stuff like that, too, because Garrus can be and, dead in two. And Talia. Sure, yeah. sure, it could be said as well, but I still feel like that was... Though more of those things came up later, mm. as far as those go. Those those were 
when they had things going and that was at the same time like dragon age one had already come out dragon age one we gotta remember gave us six origins potential origins for the warden well dragon age origins has i think potentially some of the most choices of all the dragon age games because it was styled almost to be like a dnd-esque kind of thing but in in playable format you know it was video game format so that's why the hero Ferelden always gets shunted to the sidelines. Like uh, in my current playthrough, there's a comment from Liliana that my love is off doing a mission and I will join her later kind of thing. And it's, it's so loosely handled uh, of, of nonsense. So I, I've just been thinking about this. Then we have the Hawk. Um, and Hawk is as Hawk, you know, whatever. Again, Dragon Age 2 is a monstrously rushed game. We've talked about that. But with Inquisition, mm-hmm. Hawk comes back, obviously, as a temporary companion, right? And to the point that you mm-hmm. uh, get to recustomize the character because that data is not, you know, saved in any way, shape, or form. Mm-hmm. So I keep looking back at how Hawk became a temporary character, and I look at the fact of how Trespasser sets up this super personal relationship, more so, with, you know, Solus as this, depending how you view him, villainous character. Uh, potentially vi- villainous character, potentially anti-hero, depending on kind of how you view it. And then you have the Inquisitor, who uh, has, you know, lost a major part of their power. And I keep thinking to myself, what if Bioware made the Inquisitor a companion character? Yeah, that's something that, that, that I brought up when we were talking about it, was the idea of the Inquisitor either being a companion or an advisor or being like a sort of character that could like lead mm-hmm. the inquisition while you were rising up the ranks or something. Um, yeah. And Ken does not like that. I, there's like a lot to unpack here because I think my frustration doesn't come with the idea necessarily of like, I want like a mass effect through line of like one protagonist that goes all the way through the series. My trouble is they switch protagonists, but they use, those people to set up a conflict in the next game and then hand it to somebody else. And it's kind of the way it's structured. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like, because I feel like dragon age wants to be the thing where like, you know, the, the the world is the star, but they haven't figured out how to like separate that from the stories that they write and the characters that they write. And I think that's not, that's not me being, that's not me being precious about the inquisitor, like being my favorite character, like my favorite player, playable character in the series. It's about, realizing that I can never get satisfactory endings to a series that, one, again, like, hands conflicts over to other characters. Like, we talked about it a couple of episodes back. The handling of the Mage Templar stuff that Hawk sets off in 2 is absolutely <laughs> atrocious in Inquisition. Like, they, you know, this, you know, this dialogue, this conflict that they set up in 2... That is supposed to have like this real ramifications, like this world is having to reckon with like the the systems that it's had in place. What if instead we put one of these factions under the umbrella of the Inquisition, and the other one gets to be the this mob that Corypheus throws at you? And it's it's a frustrating thing like that. Like it's not a, it's not an issue of like I want to I'm attached to this character and I want to play as him all the time. It's his story is not finished. And it's going to be given to somebody else. It's going to be given to some rando that we're going to have to make a character creator and have any invest. Like, okay, hypothetical. Solus is like the final boss in this game. Random homeboy is going to be the one that fights him. The one that hypothetically kills him or like gets in that final fight with him. Who? <laughs> yeah. Like, 
like, I, and and it's not like I know, like I'm kind of like trying to address things that were said to me on Twitter. And, like this isn't me like calling anybody out because everyone's got you know everyone comes from this from their own perspective and like they're all valid. And like I didn't find anything that was said to me like super egregious. But, like it's not about one character being special. It's about one character getting to see the end of their plot line before they're sidelined, mm-hmm. yeah. which doesn't happen. Like it happened in Origins kind of because like that game wasn't meant to be a sequel, so like they they neatly tied up everything. Um, but Hawk got done dirty. It sounds like the Inquisitor is going to get done dirty. I don't have any faith in Bioware to recognize that this is a problem because they are about to be four games in and they haven't. And the fan base seems to enable it. So I'm kind of... I'm not, I hesitate to say that I'm done with Dragon Age because like, this game is going to have ostensibly going to have Dorian in it. So like, I have an investment in that person. The Inquisitor is going to show up in some capacity. And so like, I feel like I need to show up and like, at least see what that is and so I can be <laughs> mad about it like and infor- like and informed about it but it's just like I don't get how nobody like not that nobody knows this is a problem like that there are so many ways that people talk around the continuity of the series and like ways that these uh, like these new situations these new characters can rise up into the like into the center of conflicts they had nothing to do with and then be the person that settles it I think the the thing that has ultimately brought me around to to following like or, or at least describing to, to some of what you talk about, Ken, is that I was thinking about how the hero of Ferelden, you know, gets to tie off their story and then even get awakening and then get um witch hunt on top of that to just really tie off everything. Mm-hmm with as need of a bow and it's not necessarily tying it off like the hero of Ferelden continues to do things afterwards depending on the choices you make but you know you get the sense that they're not used to kind of create this cliffhanger in the way that hawk or the inquisitor is Mm -hmm. where they create this conflict specifically for this character and then that segues into the next game but it's handed to a different person and so that's i can understand that completely and I think what my ultimate hope f- for all this is, is that like, I think the dream goal here would be that through all this character creation and character building, especially with the scale that these games are ramping up to, like, I, I don't know if we've ever really talked about, like, we've gone from fighting, you know, an archdemon, which is kind of a recurring evil, but not necessarily completely out of the realm of possibility, to Corypheus is essentially... Uh, an ancient Tevinter Magister with seemingly godlike powers, and in future games we could even be fighting actual mm-hmm. gods. Um, mm. And you know, at that point, I'd start to hope that there would be some sort of Avengers-style team up where we, much like in Mass Effect Three, where a lot of your squad ends up being, oh hey, here's Garrus, here's Tali, here's. Uh, Edie. Edie's in a sexy robot body now, but we recognize that Edie <laughs> is a, a favorite character and Edie will come back. Uh, here's your human squad mate who survived Vermeer. Like, here's the the A-team. You know, you're going to go into the final battle and you're going to do it with largely the people that Bioware has determined that are, like, the characters you want to follow into battle. Um, so... <laughs> I'd almost be interested to see if that's what it is and it is some sort of Avengers style team up where you might be 
some nameless character, but you're gathering these forces together and maybe you are creating a party that is the hero of Ferelden and potentially Hawk and potentially the Inquisitor and creating this giant force to combat something that is like a cataclysmic world event. But I don't know if that is what they're going for. That's me purely 100% speculating and hoping that that would be a way for them to make all this extended conflict stuff feel like it's resolving in a way. But again, like, I think the friction is between the structure that Bioware is approaching, which is a very classic CRPG style of we're going to take a universe and tell a story in it uh, the same way that they've done with Baldur's Gate and Neverwinter Nights and all those other series where you could just kind of take a world and tell a story inside it and have it exist separate from other things. But then when you start creating these Mass Effect style through lines, Mm. now you start to feel the friction of where those sequestered stories have to link up together and create that that passage and where that doesn't always work um so that is kind of like i am now both extremely excited don't get me wrong and also extremely skeptical of the new dragon age at the same time so i'm right back to square one (laughs) (laughs) um the other thing that's been going around that i guess is worth talking about even though it's Ken and I were talking before this and it seems like almost a non-story and I'm pulling up the headline that I saw because it was just a really good headline and I'm not saying this to dunk on somebody I'm just saying this is a very funny headline to me Um, shoot oh it was um, I'll be there in a second it was on Destructoid it was the Destructoid headline for this and all this is 100% accurate and exactly what this story is. So this is not a dunk on the author or the headline writer. This is how silly the story is. <laughs> unannounced Mass Effect trilogy remaster might slip out of its unannounced October release date. <laughs> um, so obviously, and we've talked about it on the show before, there, there's been a teased Mass Effect remaster. We talked about it on a very recent episode that... Uh, it's been teased by Venture Beats uh, Jeff Grubb that it would uh, something about it would be coming in October, and then in a recent uh, Games Beat podcast, uh, Games Beat decides one fifty six or one sixty one actually their thumbnails wrong. <laughs> um, uh, it's titled "Where Is the Mass Effect Trilogy Remaster?" Uh, you can go listen to it yourself. Um, Grubb comments. Up until, like, this last week, I know the plan for sure was to announce it in early October, speaking about the Mass Effect remaster, uh, release in later in October. However, Grub goes on to say that his sources think maybe COVID-related issues will put a temporary damper on those plans. He adds, I think they were planning to have this Mass Effect trilogy be the other big thing for $60 this holiday alongside Star Wars Squadrons, so that's why I'm still pretty confident it will make it out, but with everything else falling apart across the board, I could see them also wanting to just delay. Um, Two things that I wanted to hit here. One... um, calling it the other big $60 game stacked up against Squadrons when Squadrons is very much being pitched as like a not $60 game. I think it's actually yeah, it's $40. $40 game. That's what actually yeah. kind of sold me on the game was that it was um, only $40. Yeah, that, that kind of caught my eye a bit, but um, I, I understand what he's saying. Like, I think he means more like $60 yeah. in terms of like big game purchase and all that. Uh, a $60 Mass Effect remaster would be an interesting proposition, I think, compared to selling it for a lower price. Uh, 
not sure if as many people would jump on it at that I mean, price. it's all three games and all the DLC, that's several hundred dollars of value. But those are easily, like, coming from someone who has had to do this recently, you can obtain that for less than $20 on PC, and that's kind of like... But on a console. Right, and that's, that's like, the trade-off that I'm seeing, and I'm, I'd want to see what the value proposition of that is. And that leads me to my second point, which is... When I started thinking about, okay, this was supposed to be EA's holiday tentpole, you know, what, it's EA, like, what does that mean for them? What what do they put around this so it's not just, I mean, they have their sports games, you know, Madden's already out, FIFA's coming out at some point. Um, what does this mean for a tentpole game? And I had, like, this revelation in the car um, that I had to, like, hastily scribble down, and I was like, multiplayer. <laughs> um <laughs> I had the thought, I was like, what if Mass Effect 3 multiplayer came back? And then the second thought, which was, what if Mass Effect 3 multiplayer's monetization scheme came back? <laughs> which was, honestly, when you look at the history of games, like that was one of the earliest progenitors of what we have today in terms of crates sure. and things like that. Like, Yeah, it's really weird to think about Mass Effect as like an early example right. of loot box, but mm -hmm. it was, and it yeah, apparently if... made a lot of money for them. Yeah, I told I told the story back in our Mass Effect uh, seasons, but it was so early into that I didn't have the word for it, so I had to describe it to like my friends like a booster bag of cards, mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. like you know, the language of what microtransactions are today was not around then, and here it was being this kind of trailblazer in that, not really, a, you know, something you want to have on your resume, but you know. So I mean, like. The idea of a Mass Effect remaster, I think when everybody talks about it, they think about the story side, the narrative side of it, being able to play that single player story again. But man, like, and this is me speculating, this is just me having this thought that appeared to me in my brain that I have to now express to the world. What if this thing still has that monetization? Like, what if they turn the multiplayer servers back on, say, like... You can play Mass Effect 3 multiplayer again, which I think a lot of people would be very excited I would excited be all for, the fuck a, over that. I'm not even kidding. I literally... Said, uh, my darn skin good multiplayer. is vibrating thinking about that. <laughs> but what if it suddenly has, like, okay, but there's also a battle pass whatever. now. Like, <laughs> I'm not going to buy it, but whatever. <laughs> and, then, and then the flip around is, like, what if that turns into a way for them to start putting new content in the game? Like, you get to battle pass level 20, and now you can play as some class that they decided to add to the remaster version of multiplayer or whatever maybe they add in stuff like now you can play uh you know some of the character races or whatever that are from andromeda or you can mm. play some of the races that weren't in the original mass effect like what if you could play an elcor something <laughs> what if all i want to do is play an elcor <laughs> yeah something that was uh, yes agreed something that was uh i've been thinking about one um talking purely mass just on the first topic of this talking just purely about the the remaster trilogy sixty dollars as a person who has bought mass effect more times than i can freaking count and is desperate to replay it and wants to wait until the remaster is out 60 is out of my budget personally even agreeing with the fact of it coming right. with all the dlc 50 is my sweet spot for that um i know it's just ten dollars mm -hmm. but i would say like that's I guess my question is, like, what is the difference between 50 and 60? Literally, there's nothing. There's no logic. It, it is no logic. It's just mm, literally, okay. I just, as a person who has kids and who is trying to save money, $10 mm. is, 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 is the difference. Uh, saving that $10 is the difference between convincing both myself and my wife to let me 
you know, jump back into this versus not. It's it's dumb because it's such a meaningless on paper amount of money, but that's how my brain works. And I know there's a lot of other people whose brains right now yeah. will work that way. Yeah. That that $10, because I mean, I've literally seen people quibble over a $60 game being available for $55 and saying, uh, mm-hmm. I can go for 53 right now. Like literally that $2 is like, I've, I've seen that so many mm-hmm. times. So uh, I just feel 50 is closer to my sweet spot. Uh, but that being said, if it has Mass Effect 3 multiplayer in it, that actually almost makes the 60 worthwhile. I was talking to someone the other day about um, that, that they made a comment uh, that they were bummed that they didn't announce this farther ahead because at this point we're expecting an announcement, you know, within a month of release, right? Mm. Um, the right. vibe, they, they were upset that it wasn't announced earlier and this made sense in my head because it would be a, a really good marketing beat, which was... It's Mass Effect 3 multiplayer, but it's not Mass Effect 3 multiplayer. It's Mass Effect multiplayer. We they where they mm-hmm. take as you know you guys said they take the Mass Effect 3 multiplayer, but they it's it has some of the updates of Andromeda's multiplayer. Uh, I think three was de facto better, uh, but it has some of the updates that Andromeda brought in, and it has some of the races and stuff. And now you just have a cross pollinated, just pure mm-hmm. Mass Effect multiplayer because then that could just then be brought over into Mass Effect next, whatever the hell the next Mass Effect thing is, and then it's just an ongoing mm-hmm. Mass Effect as its own separate entity. Yeah. What if a hundred specters dropped onto an island? <laughs> <laughs> um, oh, God. I mean, mm. I think that is something that would appeal more to EA, just because uh, you can tell the success that they've seen from Apex has kind of reverberated throughout the company like the fact that respawn was kind of in this very strange position within ea following titanfall 2 and your know, titanfall 2 got put out at a time that was very rough for that game to be successful um but then apex comes out and apex is just a resounding success and it's so much of a success that um vince zampella goes on to like he's helping across different parts of the company now he's not just the respawn guy but they're bringing him up to a larger position within the company to like work with other studios like the new dice studio and um it's it's reflective of i think they're looking at different ways of approaching that that doesn't mean that everything's going to be apex you know part of what respawns i guess revolution within ea was was that star wars jedi fallen order came out of respawn as well and like the idea that you can still make a really solid single player only game at Mm -hmm. ea is is like a sudden revelation for for some of those teams (laughs) and so you know mass effects i want to see i actually do want to see them mess with that stuff a little bit even if it ends up turning out like you know i will loathe writing about you know if it turns out to just be like a terrible cash grab or whatever massive money sink but yeah that was that was something now that we know or at least because i think whenever we talked about this before um we didn't know if it was going to be like an announcement in october and then it would come out later if it's announced and coming out in the same month that does not spell to me that there's like a huge sort of like update here that it's going to be like in a you know 13 years later is mass effect one going to be the exact same game that's a big yikes for me if it is because like we said back then i i don't think that that game as it is can 
draw people in the same way it could 13 nope. years ago. Um, and I think, if anything, it's going to dissuade people from continuing to play the whole thing. Um, I do not which, want if to play they do, Mass Effect it, 1 again. I say this as someone who loves Mass Effect. Yeah. I don't want to play 1 again. I've put literally 700-plus hours into that game. I have zero desire to ever touch it, honestly, again, except as a passing notion. Mm-hmm. Maybe to show my kids one day. So, quickly right. on this note, Grub also said during this podcast... Uh, that fans should expect upgraded versions of the three games rather than full remakes. And the quote goes, I don't know that for sure. I would probably lean towards upgrade. I think when I asked around about this, that was the kind of vibe I was getting. And I think that's what people should expect. Um, Mm. Which again, like when you think about how much work goes into remaking a game, you look at like the mafia remake that's, that's coming out pretty soon. Um, that that is an aspect of like that's a lot of work to change that original game to make it match with two and three um and i think there's also an argument to be made for how much should you change a thing you know how how good is it to change a thing that much versus what it was originally and have that archival version of it which i know is a position i have that infuriates many (laughs) people but (laughs) um I, I don't know. I'm I'm interested in what this thing is. I mean, look, we podcast weekly about Bioware games. If you think I'm not game for more Mass Effect, like, what have you been listening to? <laughs> but yeah, I, we'll see how it goes. Uh, that's that's it for us here at Normandy FM. As always, we have a Patreon, Patreon.com/slash/NormandyFM, where you can go and support us and boost the work that we do, and maybe contribute towards us being able to afford said Mass Effect <laughs> remasters when they come out, so we can talk about them on the podcast. I mean, I don't know, Ken. I'd be down for doing a special episode oh, yeah. where after we've both binged the remasters, uh, if they do happen. I'm down for that. Um, but as always, we thank those folks who back at a certain tier. Uh, and this week that includes kevin kulikowski chris johns alice hawk colin just colin just reds just zach mickle and the wedge of destiny thank you all so much for contributing and adding to the pool and if y'all want to do that you can head over to patreon.com slash and help us keep the lights on as well or if not just head over to social media go to twitter.com slash show you can follow all of our updates there as well as all of our announcements when episodes go live when the panel goes up all that um next week we're getting into it uh there will be spoiler talk i'm just gonna put that out there right now next like there was some spoiler talk here today but next week we're gonna have to get in some real spoiler talk about dragon age inquisition at large because we are talking soulless and we have the one the only egg lover on (laughs) to truly dissect all that is soulless natalie flores returns oh it's it's gonna be a lot um maybe the second most contentious character in bioware games uh next to anders <laughs> um mm, i think they're probably I, tied oh i i think it, everyone hates anders more but <laughs> um so actually that would probably make Solus more contentious because there might be people who like Solus versus everyone hating <laughs> Anders. Um, but Natalie will join us to tell us why she does indeed love the lovable egg and how disarming he can be. Until next time, everyone, we'll see you next week on Normandy FM. <laughs> I don't want to be
and waited. 